everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I'm your host, Kerry Parker, and uh, Happy New Year. Welcome to 2020, a brand new decade. Of, of course, if you get really pedantic about it, a lot of people say, oh, no, the decade doesn't technically start until next year because we didn't have a year zero. Yada, yada. Happy, <laughs> happy New Year. And uh, I hope you had a safe and happy holidays and are ready to start the new year. And uh, if you were looking for some cybersecurity New, Year, new Year's resolutions... You can, of course, check out the, my blog, uh, and I've got a nice little list there going for you. Uh, we covered some of those in the last episode. If you want to go back, you can check that out as well. And this week is the fifth anniversary of the publishing of my book, uh, the very first edition, which I self-published on Amazon. God, it's hard to believe it's been five years ago now. Uh, but we're now, of course, in the third edition, and A Press uh, has picked up the book, a, a real-for-real publisher. <laughs> As I've mentioned before, uh, the fourth edition is already in the works. I need to sign some paperwork, but we'll be working on that coming up here soon. And I'm hoping, hoping that we'll get it all done for a summer release. So uh, I'm actually looking for feedback. So if you've got the book and uh, there's a topic you'd like me to expand upon or a, a topic that is missing or you know any other kind of constructive feedback you have, uh, let me know. You can send, uh, send your info to feedback at firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com. Uh, and I will not necessarily reply to everything, but I, I will file those away and uh, take your suggestions. So I uh, would love to hear from you. Also, I don't know if you are, happen to be going to South by Southwest, which is a really big tech slash entertainment conference held in Austin. And this year it's going to be in March. You may not even have heard of it, but uh, I'm hoping to be going this year, actually, and hopefully be doing a book signing down there. So uh, we'll see if I can get that together or not. But uh, that's that's the hope. And uh, it should be a lot of fun. I've been wanting to go to South by Southwest for a long time. So I will also be going to the massive consumer electronics show, CES, in Las Vegas uh, next week. That should be really interesting. I've been wanting to go to that one forever, too. Uh, it is just amazingly huge. It's unbelievable how many, uh, how many companies are there, how many products they show. I'll definitely have to bring my good walking shoes. But, yeah, I may have some interesting things to pass along there. I think privacy is going to be a big deal there this year. Uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll see. Maybe I'll have a little bit of a CES report for you uh, next week. Actually, the CES readout will have to come for uh, probably the week after that because we should have a, an interview next week. I've got a few great ones on the horizon. But the one that should come for the next show is uh, an interview with gentlemen from ProPublica. They're a top-notch investigative journalism outfit and um, been wanting to get somebody from ProPublica on the show for a long, long time now. So very much looking forward to that. Uh, we're going to be talking about a recent article they published, something they've been digging into about the whole free filing thing for your taxes and how that has turned into quite the fiasco, especially with Intuit and TurboTax. Uh, and there's been a lot happening in that. And so we're going to talk about that and some of the history behind that and what that means for you in this coming tax year. Also hoping to bring on Lawrence Abrams from Bleeping Computer back on the show. We haven't had him on the show for quite a while, but I finally got back in touch with him. And he and I are going to have a little discussion on the pros and cons of antivirus software. That should be interesting. So anyway, a lot of things to look forward to. A lot of interviews coming up. Uh, but we've got a lot of topics to cover today. There's been a lot of things going on, a lot of things I wanted to talk about. I'm going to start off with a little brief note about how the Iran situation may actually affect all of us. And um, if you're... Not following the news, we carried out a lethal attack against one of their top military personnel. And, uh, of course, they didn't take that too kindly. And uh, so there may be some fallout there. I'll talk a little bit about that. I've got not one but two stories concerning Facebook. Uh, one about how they have agreed to finally stop using your two-factor authentication numbers, something that's supposed to be there for security, and stop using it to monetize you. 
Uh, and we'll also talk about how almost 300 million Facebook user IDs and phone numbers were exposed online. Um, <laughs> not the first time that's happened either. I want to talk a little bit more about the Ring doorbell and how they had a recent data breach that's kind of, well, it wasn't good. And definitely some creepy aspects to that. But and more talk about how their response to that was really not what it should have been. Then we'll talk about new shift in ransomware tactics that, you know, just when you think it couldn't get worse, they're starting to do something else, which is not good. We'll talk about that. If you have a smartwatch for your child, uh, which some of these companies sell these things to kind of help you keep track of your kid. Uh, so they have little GPS trackers on them and lets you find out where Johnny is. But uh, unfortunately, due to some really bad security, anybody can figure out where Johnny is. <laughs> we'll talk about that. You're going to start seeing some links and buttons on websites now that says do not sell. Uh, it's talking about do not sell my data, and that is due to a brand new law called the California Consumer Privacy Act, or CCPA, uh, that is just now going into effect. And there's kind of a lot going on there, so we're going to talk a little bit about what that means. And finally, if you are a Windows user and you are still not upgraded to Windows 10, you're going to want to do that right away um, because all support for Windows 7 is going to end uh, in mid-January, and that means you're not going to get security updates, and that is a problem. So uh, that'll lead into our tip of the week, how you can still do that for free, believe it or not. And so, yeah, we've got a lot to get to today, so let, let's get to it. First up, just a brief note. Last Friday or last Thursday, I believe it was, the U.S. carried out a drone strike against its kind of a top military leader in Iran. It, it doesn't really follow like the United States's hierarchy. I mean, this guy is like a cross between maybe the Joint Chiefs of Staff or JSOC, uh, which is the Joint Special Operations Command leader. Uh, and the vice president, like he's really, he's almost like second in command in the country as well. We don't really have an analogous position here, but um, he has, there's been a lot of American deaths attributed to things that this guy has done. So it's not, you know, it's no doubt that this guy was a bad guy. However, on very little notice and without consulting Congress, we have killed the guy. And, you know, you could debate whether that was a good idea or not. But the upshot of that is, is that Iran was not happy, obviously. And a lot of cybersecurity experts are saying we need to be prepared for some sort of a cyber attack. There's really not a lot you and I personally can do on this. These attacks, you know, more than likely will be against, you know, maybe some infrastructure or maybe against the government or it's hard. It's honestly, it's hard to say, but it's probably not going to be against individual people. And, you know, I don't want to sound the alarm. I don't want, you know, I'm not saying go into a bunker and, and you know, buy thousands of cans of non-perishable food and all that kind of stuff. I'm just saying that we just, you know, we just need to keep an eye out for things and be a little more cautious than normal. And this is really more for, I think, corporations and government entities than individuals. But, I, you know, I thought I should at least address this because it's not outside the realm of possibility that uh, we may see some disruption here soon. Uh, hopefully not, but, you know, uh, we'll, we shall see. Of course, this, you know, we've been doing these kind of things for a long time. The U.S. and Iran are some of the top cyber actors in the world uh, in terms of capabilities. And back in the day, we, well, it wasn't, we was never officially, officially acknowledged by the United States government, of course, but the strong suspicion is that the, the U.S., perhaps in uh, coordination with Israel, created this malware called Stuxnet that we managed to get installed on their uh, nuclear centrifuges, causing them to basically self-destruct. 
and it's a really interesting story, actually. There's a couple things you might want to check out. There's a there's a documentary called Zero Days, which I've recommended before, uh, that primarily talks about Stuxnet. And there's also a book that I'm actually interested to read called Countdown to Zero Day, uh, also uh, about Stuxnet. And this was a really sophisticated virus, basically, that we managed to get installed in our centrifuges. And of course, they're you know they've been they've got security. They their centrifuges are probably not directly on the internet. Uh, they're what we say air gapped, which is to say there's there's an air gap between the Ethernet port on the back of the computer and the actual Ethernet cable, meaning in other words, it's not connected. I think the rumor again there was that is that one way we got them in there is we is that the the governments loaded the malware onto USB flash drives and then just kind of left them lying around like in parking lots or somewhere where somebody from that facility might find it, pick it up and take it back to work and say, hmm, I wonder what's on this. <laughs> and plug it in, and of course, then they're then they were infected. But you know, these things are not contained. The, one of the things that these documentaries talk about is that that same technology was reverse engineered and has subsequently been used in other places around the world. So you know, it's one of these it's one of those warfare things. You invent a better weapon, and it's not just you that's going to use it. Uh, eventually, it, other people, when they see it used, are going to figure it out, uh, and they'll get the technology too. And there's a lot of you know, unforeseen consequences down the road for things like this. Anyway, so uh, those are interesting doc- documentaries. You might want to give those a look. I don't want to talk about it too much more, but I thought that was just kind of an interesting you know, thing going on in the news right now, and I wanted to bring that up. All right, now to some more conventional news and somebody who is on <laughs> featured on my show quite often, and that, of course, is Facebook. So Facebook joined the ranks of the more secure companies out there by eventually offering two-factor authentication for their accounts, meaning that you not only had to log in with your username and password, but if it was on a device they didn't recognize, they would challenge you to enter a one-time PIN code that they sent to you via SMS on your mobile phone. Of course, that means you had to register your mobile phone with them, giving them your mobile phone number. And in fact, that was the only way, <laughs> the only way to get two-factor authentication was to give your mobile number. And then Facebook turned around and used that mobile number to monetize you. So <laughs> let me just read from this article from Naked Security. Did you know that when you use your phone to authenticate your Facebook login, the company feeds the number into its friend suggestion feature? Neither did most people until the social media giant told Reuters about it this week. Facebook operates a two-factor authentication system that lets users add a second authentication channel to their account. Instead of relying solely on username and password, they can set their account to require a login code from a third-party authentication app or code sent via SMS text message to their phone. It's the phone number part that's a problem. Facebook clearly likes to use as much of your personal data as it feels it can, and that includes the phone number linked to your two-factor authentication setting. A study by researchers at Princeton and Northeastern Universities released in May 2018 found that the company had been using these two-factor authentication numbers to serve advertisements. What's worse is that you couldn't register for the two-factor service without a phone number until Facebook changed its policy in May of 2018. When it fined Facebook $5 billion in July of 2019, the FTC also made it promise not to do that anymore. So it stopped. So far, so good. But in an interview with Reuters, Facebook's chief privacy officer, Michael Prati, explained that the company has also been feeding these numbers into its People You May Know feature, which suggests friends for you to connect to on the platform. This is all part of a wide-ranging effort to improve the company's privacy, Prati told Reuters. How safe does that make you feel? A lot of people have no idea that it was using people's two-factor authentication details in this way. You could file this little gem under, you were doing what now? Facebook will flip the off switch on that data usage over the next few months, beginning in Ecuador, Ethiopia, Pakistan, Libya, and Cambodia next week, and going global next year. Why the heck are they starting? Anyway, 
Reuters said that if you've already given the social media platform your number as part of the two-factor authentication service, then the change won't be retroactive. You'll have to go into your settings manually, delete your number, and enter it again. Well, let's see how long that lasts. That's horrible. Not only are they got caught doing it and said they're going to stop doing it, but you still have to go and do something on your own to to make them stop. That's that's just bad. They should just stop doing it. I don't know why they're forcing people to do this. Well, no, I do know. It's Facebook. And, you know, they know that that's the tyranny of the default. If, if most people will not know about this, will not hear about this, and even if they do, the chances of them actually going and doing it are slim. All right, which brings us to the next Facebook story. And this is another case where hundreds of millions of Facebook user ID and phone numbers were exposed online with, without any real authentication. Uh, so let me read from a different article, this one from Comparatech. A database containing more than 267 million Facebook user IDs, phone numbers, and names was left exposed on the web for anyone to access without a password or any other authentication. Comparatech partnered with security researcher Bob Dychenko to uncover the Elasticsearch cluster. Elasticsearch is just an online database. Dychenko believes the trove of data is most likely a result of an illegal scraping operation or Facebook API abuse by criminals in Vietnam, according to the evidence. So let me stop there just real quick. So scraping means writing software that basically surfs the web, goes to web pages and looks for interesting information on those web pages, publicly available stuff, anything that you could do, this computer could do, but the, it's a computer doing it. It does it a lot faster. Um, and so in this case, it would be going to a whole bunch of public Facebook profiles and finding as much information there as it can and downloading it into this database. So back to the article, it says, the information contained in the database could be used to conduct large-scale SMS spam and phishing campaigns, among other threats to end users. Dachenko immediately notified the internet service provider managing the IP address of the server so that the access could be removed. However, Dachenko says the data was also posted to a hacker forum as a download. The database was exposed for nearly two weeks before access was removed. In total, 267,140,436 records were exposed. Most of the affected users were from the United States. Dachenko says all of them seemed to be valid. Each contained a unique Facebook ID, a phone number, and a full name. This isn't the first time such a database has been exposed. In September 2019, 419 million records across several databases were exposed. These also included phone numbers and Facebook IDs. A database this big is likely to be used for phishing and spam, particularly via SMS. Facebook users should be on the lookout for suspicious text messages. Even if the sender knows your name or some basic information about you, be skeptical of any unsolicited messages. Facebook users can minimize the chances of their profiles being scraped by strangers by adjusting their account privacy settings. Uh, and I'll read through this real quick. You basically go into Facebook, go to settings, click on privacy, uh, and basically it says to set all the relevant fields to either friends or only me as opposed to public. And also set the uh, do you want search engines outside of Facebook to link to your profile to no. And the article just says one more thing. It says uh, this will reduce the chances of your profile being scraped by third parties. But the only way to ensure it never happens again is to completely deactivate or delete your Facebook account. All right. So I guess you could say that this is supposedly not Facebook's fault if that's really what happened here. But you know, Facebook just plays loose with this stuff. I mean, if it was just scraping, that basically means that some some computer guy went through and looked through all the public Facebook profiles and found all the names and phone numbers it could. So if that's the case, you know, that's not Facebook's fault, except I would argue that it kind of is because the default should not be public for everything. The default should be friends only. And then if you want to make something public, you should have to do that explicitly. I had a whole big thing on this while back, which I called the tyranny of the default, which I, as is not a term I came up with. 
but basically it's it's just not valid for people to opt out anymore. There's way, way, way too many things that you need to do to opt out. So the default should be opt in. So by default, everything should be private. And of course, making those changes now won't help those people that are already in those databases. That information is already gone. So it just gives the bad guys this huge list of numbers and names to try to hack. And they would do that by sending phishing texts, you know, a text message from somebody saying, oh, hey, Carrie, we've noticed there's a problem with your account. Click here to fix it. Or here's something really cool. Click this and, you know, enter your info for a chance to win, you know, whatever, you know, whatever. So if you're a Facebook user, just be on the lookout for strange text messages that may ask you to give up information about yourself or click links to bad websites. All right, let's move on. Uh, there's another story about Ring, and because there was a uh, the video doorbell company, which is now owned by Amazon, which I've talked about a few times recently, uh, they had a data breach, and that happens. But the way they handled it was not ideal, and the EFF called them out on this, and I want to read a little bit from their article on this data breach. And actually, before I get to the story, the, the very first line makes a reference to a previous thing that was really creepy that I, I probably should have led with, and that is some hackers broke into some ring cameras. Uh, and some of these ring cameras are not just doorbells that face out. Some of these things are child monitors. And there was this ring camera that somebody had put in their, God forbid, they put, they put it, I think in their daughter's bedroom. This is a camera with the microphone and a speaker. And this guy hacked into that camera and started talking to these girls. And in both cases, they basically, they basically blamed the user. So let me read this article and you'll understand what I mean. Just a week after hackers broke into a ring camera in a child's bedroom, taunting the child and sparking serious concerns about the company's security practices, BuzzFeed News is reporting that over 3,600 ring owners' email addresses, passwords, camera locations, and camera names were dumped online. This includes cameras recording private spaces inside homes. This stunning new leak could potentially provide criminals and stalkers with access to view live video feeds from inside and around thousands of ring customers' homes, see archived videos, and get the precise location of all Ring devices attached to the compromised account by studying the orientation of the footage and location information attached to each camera. Ring has claimed that this attack was the result of credential stuffing, a technique where attackers gather usernames and passwords compromised in another data breach and try them on other websites. Ring claims that the incident is, quote, in no way related to a breach or compromise of Ring's security, unquote. Ring is attempting to place the blame squarely at the feet of their customers for reusing passwords, using weak passwords, and not turning on two-factor authentication. The truth is that Ring itself deserves the largest share of blame for every attack that their users have suffered. Now, at this point, they actually show a little clip of the email that Ring sent, sent to its customers. And let me read, read that. It says, Hello, neighbor. Ring's mission is to make neighborhoods safer. We care about your digital security just as much as we care about your security in your home and in your neighborhood. During a recent investigation by our security team, we identified that the email address and password of one of your ex external accounts was exposed in a data breach. Due to the fact that many people use the same username and password for many different accounts, bad actors often reuse credentials stolen or leaked from one service on another service. We believe that somebody may have used this method to attempt to gain access to your Ring account, and we are committed to making sure that you and those you designate are the only people with access to your account. Rest assured, this incident is in no way related to a breach or compromise of Ring's security. So then back to the EFF article, they say, We don't currently know how the Ring account data was acquired, but for the moment, let's take Ring at their word that this was a credential stuffing attack. 
This applies that an attacker tried tens or even hundreds of thousands of username and password combinations on Ring's website, and Ring didn't even notice until they were alerted by security researchers. Best practices in website security provide a few basic guidelines. First, numerous subsequent failed attempts on an account should result in extra scrutiny for logging in to that account. This may include limiting the number of attempts or locking the account until the owner can be contacted. Second, when a password is chosen for an account, this should go through some form of scrutiny, checking whether it is in a list of known compromised passwords and ensuring that it is sufficiently complex. Third, account holders should be able to see and audit the list of devices they have logged into on their account. And fourth, companies should encourage users to enable two-factor authentication in their account settings. All right, so basically what this is saying is that we need to stop blaming the victim. And I agree. We're all busy people. These companies should be taking the extra effort on our behalf, if they really care about security, to make sure that we're doing the right things. And that is pushing us to use two-factor authentication. Um, and I agree. It, you know, there's plenty of password databases out there, including Have I Been Pwned and others that uh, these security researchers have gathered together you know, all these password breach databases and have published lists of uh, of account credentials that were found in there. It would really be trivial now for you know, companies when you try to create a password for an account to say, hey, uh, this password that you're trying to use was used somewhere else and it was already broken. So you should not use this password. And of course, like they're saying, if somebody tries to log into your account multiple times and fails, then that should trigger something. So in the credential stuffing case, this you know, the bad guys get this database and they take these things and they just throw every password and uh, username they can at these systems and try to get some of them to work, hoping that somebody reused a password from the breached site on the site that they're trying to attack. And that sort of an automated attack thing should definitely be picked up by the servers that are being attacked. Okay, the last thing I'll say here is I have actually switched out my Ring doorbell. I finally did it over Christmas. I replaced it with the, I think it's pronounced Eufy, E-U-F-Y, uh, which is a, uh, an offshoot of the Anchor brand. And I, I'd love it. It's actually better than the Ring doorbell I had. I had the Ring doorbell Pro, and this Eufy video doorbell has, has a wider view, higher resolution screen, and actually just seems to work better. And the killer factor for me, as far as our privacy concerns, is all the video is stored locally on the device. It's not stored in the cloud anywhere. Uh, I can view it from anywhere. I can, with the with the right app, actually it integrates with Apple HomeKit, which is really nice. Um, and because it integrates with Apple HomeKit, it also Apple has a secure video feature, uh, which makes sure that that video uh, is kept uh, supremely secure. So it's a much better product as far as I'm concerned, especially if you're an Apple user and can set up Apple Home in your in your household. For to that for to do that you would either need an Apple HomePod uh, or an Apple 4K TV. Either of those boxes, you need something to serve as a hub to control these devices. So as long as you've got one of those two devices or don't mind picking one of those up, you can use Apple Home and and have even more secure video from this video doorbell. So again, that's Eufy E U F Y uh, video doorbell. You can find it on Amazon. So I think it's normally 160 bucks, but I got mine for 100 on sale. Uh, so keep an eye out for sales. Uh, if you're looking to do this, I would certainly recommend this over Ring. All right, next up, ransomware is getting even worse. And just when you thought it couldn't get worse. Krebs on Security, which is, of course, a fantastic security website that does a lot of really great investigations, has an article about this. And I've got some short excerpts from it here. I'll just read from this article from Krebs on Security. As if the scourge of ransomware wasn't bad enough already, several prominent purveyors of ransomware have signaled they plan to start publishing data stolen from victims who refuse to pay up. 
To make matters worse, one ransomware gang has now created a public website identifying recent victim companies that have chosen to rebuild their operations instead of quietly acquiescing to their tormentors. Less than 48 hours ago, and this article is could be a week or two old now, uh, less than 48 hours ago, the cybercriminals behind the Maze ransomware strain erected a website on the public internet, and it currently lists the company names and corresponding websites for eight victims of their malware that have declined to pay a ransom demand. And this is a quote from the website that's kind of in broken English. It says, quote, represented here, companies don't wish to cooperate with us and trying to hide our successful attack on their resources. Wait for their databases and private papers here. Follow the news, unquote. Krebs on Security was able to verify that at least one of the companies listed on the site indeed recently suffered from a maze ransomware infestation that was not yet reported to the news media. The information disclosed for each maze victim includes the initial date of infection, several stolen Microsoft Office text and PDF files, and total volume of files allegedly exfiltrated from the victims, measured in gigabytes, as well as the IP addresses and machine names of the servers infected by maze. As shocking as this new development may be to some, it's not like the bad guys haven't warned us this was coming. So that's 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 a really bad new twist in this whole ransomware thing. Ransomware is already bad enough. It's already affecting so many different people now. But now it's now it's even worse. So, you know, as I've said many times in the show, and just as recently in our New Year's resolution show, if you have backups of everything, then you don't have to worry about ransomware because if they're holding your data hostage, but you have a copy of that data then you don't need to worry about it. <laughs> Unlike when the person is taken hostage, you don't necessarily have a clone of that person handy and say, ah, you can kill that one. I've got this one. But for data, you can have a perfect backup of everything. And it's no big deal. If, uh, if one of them's locked up that you've got the other one, you're, you're in good shape. However, in this case, and it sounds like they're basically targeting companies with this, though there's no reason they couldn't target individuals as well. If they think the information is juicy enough, they're basically saying, okay, fine. You've got backups and you don't want to pay. But, uh, you know, if you don't pay, I'm going to take your files and I'm going to make them public. Obviously, if you're a corporation, you've got intellectual property that you want to protect or just, you know, private communications or whatever, that, that would be a big blow to your business. But, you know, this could be bad for individuals, obviously, as well. So I think we're going to see this continue. So what that really says is the upshot is, uh, in that case, just having a backup isn't enough. I mean, that will mean that your data is safe. But if you don't pay the money, your, your privacy is going to be violated. So we're back to just regular internet hygiene, the things that we do to try to keep ourselves safe. And, you know, so don't click on links in emails. Uh, you know, of course, buttons and images can be linked as well. So be careful what you click on when you get an email. And it doesn't matter who it came from. It could be, you know, from somebody that you know. And that's either because the email uh, sender has been spoofed, uh, it's been faked, or that other person's email account has been hacked. And it really did come from their account, but it wasn't them who sent it. Also, if you know, if you get an attachment in an email, uh, don't open it unless it was something you explicitly asked for, something you expected someone to send you. Like you told someone, hey, send me that document and they send you a document that looks like that document. You know, you can't just never, ever open an attachment. But if you get an email out of the blue from your brother who says, oh, this is really cool. Check this file out. That would be something that you would want to question. And in that case, if you really know the person, of course, you could just ask them and say, hey, did you really send me this file before you open it? <laughs> not through email, of course, you'd have to find a different way of communicating to verify that, but you know what I'm saying. But the other thing I think here is that really now it's incumbent upon Apple and Microsoft in particular, and of course, you know, Linux developers as well. The operating system people need to figure something out here. This is ransomware has just gotten way out of hand. 
So again, I think that the operating system folks really need to step it up here. And, and they're starting to put some uh, protections into place. Apple's really starting to lock down what applications are allowed to run on your system. They're really locking down access to files and folders. Uh, Microsoft is doing the similar thing in a different way, having their protected uh, documents folder so that only approved applications can make modifications there. We're starting to get there, but we've got a long way to go before we can... You know, again, not blame the victim here and, and the, the technology companies that are creating the operating systems need to come up with better ways to protect us. And that's going to mean some inconvenience, but it will be well worth it. All right, moving on. Uh, a couple more stories here before we get to our uh, tip of the week. And this one is about child tracking smartwatches, which apparently is a thing. Uh, I've never seen one personally, but I've certainly read these articles about it. Uh, and Yahoo News has this story. And uh, let me just read this to you quickly. It says, Parents buy their children GPS-enabled smartwatches to keep track of them, but security flaws mean they're not the only ones who can. This year alone, researchers have found several vulnerabilities in a number of child-tracking smartwatches, but new findings out today show that nearly all were harboring a far greater, more damaging flaw in a common shared cloud platform used to power millions of cellular-enabled smartwatches. The cloud platform is developed by a Chinese white-label electronics maker, ThinkRace, one of the largest manufacturers of location tracking devices. The platform works as a back-end system for ThinkRace-made devices, storing and retrieving locations and other device data. Not only does ThinkRace sell its own child tracking watches to parents who want to keep tabs on their children, the electronics maker also sells its tracking devices to third-party businesses, which then repackage and relabel the devices for their own branding to be sold on to customers. All the devices made or resold use the same cloud platform, guaranteeing that any white-label device made by ThinkRace and sold by one of its customers is vulnerable. Ken Monroe, founder of Pentest Partners, shared the findings exclusively with TechCrunch, which, by the way, is where this article came from. Sorry, I may not, may not have mentioned that. TechCrunch is where I got this. Their research found at least 47 million vulnerable devices. It's only the tip of the iceberg, he said. Monroe and his team think that ThinkRace made more than 360 devices, mostly watches and other trackers. Because of relabeling and reselling, many ThinkRace devices are branded differently. Often the brand owner doesn't even realize the devices they are selling are on a ThinkRace platform, said Monroe. Each tracking device sold interacts with the cloud platform. The researchers said that most of the commands that control the devices do not require authorization, and the commands are well documented, allowing anyone with basic knowledge to gain access and track a device. And because there is no randomization of account numbers, the researchers found they could access devices in bulk simply by increasing each account number by one. The flaws aren't just putting children at risk, but others who use the devices. In one case, ThinkRace provided 10,000 smartwatches to athletes participating in the Special Olympics, but the vulnerabilities meant that every athlete could have their location monitored, the researchers said. The smartwatch also allows parents and children to talk to each other, just like a walkie-talkie. But the researchers found that the voice messages were recorded and stored in the insecure cloud, allowing anyone to download files. TechCrunch listened to several recordings picked at random and could hear children talking to their parents through the app. The researchers likened the findings to Cloud Pets, an internet-connected teddy bear-like toy, which, in 2017, left their cloud servers unprotected, exposing 2 million child voice recordings. Some 5 million children and parents use the smartwatch sold by the reseller. Monroe said that while the vulnerabilities are not believed to be widely exploited, device makers like ThinkRace need to get better at building more secure systems. Until then, Monroe said owners should stop using the devices. Okay, so again, ThinkRace was the initial manufacturer of this company. It's the company that creates the cloud storage stuff that is used by all the devices made by them, even if it's not labeled as being made by them. So it's going to be kind of hard for you to figure out uh, whether or not your GPS, smartwatch, location tracking 
device for your child uh, is part of this thing. But I think the, the upshot here is if you're using a cellular-based or GPS-based tracking system for your child in a watch, probably need to stop using that now because it may not just be you who's able to track your child. All right, next up, the California Consumer Privacy Act, or the CCPA, uh, has just gone into effect. It went into effect in January of this year, 2020. And by the way, I'm really hoping to have an interview on this soon with somebody from the, uh, the EFF. Uh, working on that, so we'll, we'll dive into this much more deeply soon. But you're going to start seeing things on websites that you haven't seen before, and I thought I'd at least talk about this briefly so that you'll have some context to understand why that's happening. So here's just a brief intro from uh, the Electronic Frontier Foundation about the CCPA. CCPA gives consumers three legal rights against businesses. First, consumers have a right to know, that is, to learn what personal information a business has collected about them. This includes access to specific pieces of data. It often includes quote-unquote portability, meaning the ability to obtain the data in a usable format. In other words, sometimes these companies, I've seen this myself, sometimes these companies, you know, say, oh, yeah, you want your data? Okay, you know, send us a physical letter and we will send you a physical pile of paper in response that is completely unusable by a human. So anyway, it was smart for them to put that in there. Anyway, back to the article, it says it also includes disclosure of categories of data sources, the categories of data destinations, and the purpose of collection. Second, consumers have a right to delete the personal information a company has collected from them. There are exceptions, including when deletion would interfere with another consumer's free speech. Third, consumers have a right to opt out from sale of their personal information. For consumers that a business knows are younger than 16, sale is prohibited, absent opt-in consent. Further, a third party cannot resell data absent notice to the consumer and an opportunity for the consumer to opt out. CCPA also prohibits companies from retaliating against consumers who exercise their CCPA rights, such as charging a higher price or offering service of lower quality, unless such differences are reasonably related to the value of the data at issue. Businesses must publish generalized notices of their data practices, provide multiple means for consumers to make requests, and display a do not sell link on their websites. CCA applies to for-profit businesses in California that cross a size threshold, those that make $25 million in annual revenue, 50% of annual revenue from data sales, or data from 50,000 consumers. CCPA has various exemptions, including data that is aggregated, de-identified, or lawfully obtained from the government. Okay, so there's a lot of loopholes there, and I've, I've read a lot of articles about the CCPA that says it's really not ideal. But it's a first crack at this. It's kind of uh, an attempt to uh, have some data privacy laws at all, because currently we really have none, and fall in line with the uh, the European Union and the EU with its GDPR legislation that went into effect uh, last May. There's been a lot of complaints about uh, the CCPA, and while I'm sure we will get into all those details when I bring on somebody from the EFF to talk about it, I'm still still lining that one up. But uh, there's a lot to talk. There's a lot to talk about there. But there's a lot to be. Um, thankful for here too. As I've said before, California is a huge market and a lot of companies that are going to have to comply to this for California are just going to go ahead and comply with this everywhere. So it's quite likely that even if you're not a California um, resident, that uh, you will see benefits from this law. And if you start seeing these little do not sell links, uh, now you know why. And I would certainly, I plan to click on them anytime I see them. And, you know, if there's a chance there to opt out of data collection, I will certainly do it. And I recommend you you do the same because we want to register our disdain for this. We want to make sure they know that we're paying attention and that we care. All right. Last up, and this will lead into our tip of the week. Uh, if you are a Windows 7 user, if you are running Windows 7 operating system, 
you need to upgrade to Windows 10 because as of January 14th of 2020, which as of this taping is not much more than a week away, uh, they will stop sending updates, uh, free updates to the operating system, meaning that you will not get security fixes. And as I've said many times on this show, that is a bad thing. Uh, you always want to stay up to date because software has bugs and uh, we find fixes for those bugs all the time. Uh, and you want to get those fixes in it because if you don't have them, you are vulnerable. Windows 7 has been around a really long time. Um, so if you still have Windows 7, that probably means you've got an old computer, which it's not such a bad deal to have an old computer. Um, it's really the software you want to make sure is up to date. And that will lead in the tip of the week because, believe it or not, it is still possible to get the Windows 10 upgrade for free. Now, if you remember a few years back when Windows 10 came out, uh, they were pushing free updates really hard. Like if you had Windows 7 or Windows 8, you were getting all sorts of pop-ups constantly about, hey, uh, get the free upgrade to Windows 10. And uh, that program was really, really pushy and it really ticked off a lot of people. But, you know, a lot of people are like, hey, I'm used to this. I like it. It does what I need. I don't need anything new. I don't want change. I don't like change. Uh, so, you know, no, I'm not going to do it. And kept saying no, and no, and no, and did not take the free upgrade. Well, that program supposedly ended on July 2016. And then they stopped bugging you, which I'm sure was a relief. But there is still a way to do this. And if, you, if you've got Windows 7... Even if you really like it and you really, you know, don't want to upgrade, I think it's time. I think I think you need to read the writing on the wall here and make the effort to upgrade to Windows 10. I've, I've used Windows 10 on several machines, uh, and it's a, it's fine. Uh, you know, Windows 7 was fine too, but I think you'll be just fine with Windows 10. So I'm not going to go into all the details here for the tip of the week like I might normally do because there's kind of it's there's a lot to it, uh, and some of it involves pictures, which which doesn't work very well on a podcast. I will probably make this my newsletter and blog for next week, so you might uh, you might check that out next week when it comes out. But in the meantime, what I'll do is I'll refer you to ZDNet, uh, ZDNet.com, and if you look for the recent article on Windows 10 upgrade, or just search for a free Windows upgrade, or you, of course, can just go to podcast.firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com, my podcast website, and find the show notes for this show, uh, and the link will be there as well. Uh, with complete instructions on how to do this. Uh, I'll, I'll kind of walk you through the basics just so you understand that it's really pretty simple, uh, but if you're probably going to want to go to this website to see the details. So basically it's this. Uh, you need to go to the Download Windows 10 webpage. On that site, there's a button that says Download Tool Now. Uh, when you download this thing, it, it pops you up this window that gives you two choices. It says you can either... Uh, basically the first one is you can either directly upgrade the, the PC that you're running this tool on. So you've got, let's say you've just got the one Windows 10 machine and you download this tool and you run it. Well, then you can just run this in place and just, uh, it'll just do it right then and there and you'll be done. You'll be done. It'll upgrade the PC that you're on from Windows 7 or 8 or whatever to Windows 10 and you'll be done. However, if you've got more than one Windows 10 PC that you want to upgrade, one way, another way you could do, and the other option it presents you is you can download this tool called media creation tool. And so this will actually let you download the Windows installer and you could then put that on like a flash drive. And from that flash drive, then you could take it to multiple Windows PCs and use that to upgrade multiple Windows boxes. So you will not be asked for a product key, apparently. When the upgrade is complete and you've connected to the internet, uh, you will now have a digital license for Windows 10. And you can confirm this. Uh, you go under settings, uh, update security, and look at activation. And it should say that you've got a valid Windows uh, digital license there. And that digital license is associated with that specific device. There's some sort of a, a hardware identifier that is logged against that Windows license. So that machine is now legal for Windows 10. If you, for instance, if you wanted to later uh, download Windows 10 and completely reinstall Windows 10 and wipe that device and start over, uh, you will have the ability to do that. Now, Microsoft is not 
advertising this anymore. So, you know, some people say, well, is this legit? I mean, is this, you know, if I do this, am I going to have a real legal license to Windows 10? And I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> and the people at ZDNet loudly say they are also not lawyers. Uh, but they do have a pretty good long discussion of why they believe this is totally legit. And basically what's happening here is it's just kind of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge thing that Windows isn't making a big deal out of it. But if you want to go out of your way to do this, uh, you can still get it for free. I personally think that we'll see more of this. You'll probably see a lot of articles about this. And it may just be that Windows will finally, or I'm sorry, that Microsoft will finally give in and say, yeah, yeah, okay, this is legit. You know, they'll come out and say you can still get it for free. You know, maybe they'll give you some other kind of a bogus time window for which to do it. I really think it's in their best interest. It's actually in everybody's best interest. I don't know why they're not doing this, but uh, even if they don't, uh, this is a way to do it. You could, so you can get your Windows 10 for free. And I highly recommend that you do this. And one more tip for those of you who do take my advice and update to Windows 10, you're going to also want to make sure you check out this article from Spread Privacy, which is the blog for uh, DuckDuckGo. And they have a really great article on Windows 10 privacy tips. So if you go to spreadprivacy.com and you search on Windows 10, you should find it there, or uh, there'll be a link in the show notes to that as well. All right, another big show. Thanks for hanging in there again. We had a lot to cover today, uh, but I thought all that was important. There was actually a lot of articles I didn't cover today because they did, I didn't find them as important, and we had so much to cover already. So again, Happy New Year, uh, and if you have not listened to the New Year's Resolution podcast, uh, that was the previous episode, you should definitely check that one out. Uh, if you want to, you can just read the blog article as well. You can just go to the website, firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com. Uh, it'll be one of the top couple articles there, uh, and it's my top 10 list of you know, suggestions, challenges for you for the year 2020, things that you can do uh, that would significantly increase your security and your privacy. And as I said in the thing, you know, maybe you've already done these things. Maybe you're on top of it. Maybe you're, uh, you've already done these things. You got the book or you've heard me talk about these things for so long that you finally got around and doing them. But I bet you know people that haven't done these things. So uh, if you've already done them, then I challenge you separately for your goal to be to help somebody else, at least one other person, to walk through that same list and get them to your same level of security. Now, if you're a newsletter subscriber, you've already seen this, or if you read my blog, as 2020, as, as I said, it was five years ago this week that I published, I first published my book and kind of started this whole journey. Um, the podcast, I've almost actually, this is episode 149, and next week will be my 150th episode. And I think this has been going for, well, I guess if you do the math, 52 weeks a year, it's been almost three years now. So one of my news resolutions, one of my goals for 2020 is to expand my audience. And there's a lot of reasons for this. I mean, obviously I just want to reach more people, but as I've said many times, you know, the more people that do these things, even if everybody doesn't do these things, the more people that you know, implement some really basic security things, the better off we will all be. Uh, it's what we call a herd immunity, you know? So if enough of the population is immune to viruses, then the, the, likely, the likelihood of an epidemic breaking out goes way down, even for those, you know, those people that aren't inoculated. And finally, you know, the other thing is I, you know, I really, we need to support these efforts. There are, there are fledgling companies out there that are, that are implementing products and services that are privacy respecting and, and more secure. And the more of us, you know, get out there and become informed consumers and informed citizens and, you know, vote with our wallets and vote at the ballot box, uh, the more likely we're going to see some positive change. So again, all these things, uh, the root of all these things is to get as many people on board as possible. And so I want to reach more people this year. I want to try to, to find more people to send this message to. And for that, I could really use your help. 
And I put together a list of things to do. And again, you can find this on the blog, but I'll just kind of run through some of the top ones here. And I would really appreciate if you would seriously consider doing uh, one or more of these things, not just to help me, but, you know, to help your fellow man. So obviously, for, you know, one of the easiest things to do is if, you know, if you like the blog, if you like the newsletter, if you like this podcast, share it around, um, you know, post about it on social media from time to time, you know, not just once, but, you know, every so often, if you find a particular article or a particular show that you really like and think somebody else might like, you know, post it on your social media or forward it to somebody by email. Another thing uh, that really helps me actually, uh, if you can take the time to do it is give a nice review to the podcast or to the book. Uh, the best two places for both those, even though you can find the book and the podcast multiple places, um, is iTunes, because that's where most people get their podcasts, and Amazon, because that's where most people get their books. I uh, would also love it if you could maybe, you know, give somebody a copy of the book, buy them a copy of the book, uh, you know, when they get a new computer or when they get some new smart devices or, you know, just somebody who is kind of behind the curve and, you know, needs to get up to speed on things. The, a book is a, my book is a great way to expose them to a lot of things, including why these things are important. Or, you know, you could just send, uh, you could just also send a note about the, the book on social media uh, as well. So those are all things I've talked about before, but I've come up with some other things that, um, that would also be helpful that you may not have thought of. So for example, you might suggest uh, that somebody from your local newspaper or some local indie magazine, or maybe a trade publication you happen to be associated with, or a newsletter you get from somewhere else or a book club, you know, you might say, Hey, you know, you might want to take a look at this book for a review. Similarly, you can go to your local library, uh, or your local mom and pop you know, bookstore, brick and mortar store and say, Hey, you know, do you have this book in stock or could you get this book you know, for the library? You know, could you get this book uh, on your shelves? You know, chances of them, of them knowing about this book are slim unless somebody goes out and asks for it. And on a similar note, I've used my book as the textbook for a class that I teach to seniors at the Duke Osher Lifelong Learning Institute. It's worked really well for that. And so, you know, if you've got a community center or a senior center or uh, perhaps some of the local schools that, you know, do seminars and things on various topics, this would be a great topic for them to do as well. And the book would be a great basis for that. And actually, you know, if you want, if you find someone that does that, if you know somebody that does that, have them reach out to me. I'll be happy to help them put together some slides or uh, help them kind of organize the material for into a little seminar or whatever. I'd be happy to do that. You can have, you could use the feedback at firewallstonestopdragons.com and, or have them reach out to me and I'll be glad to help. If you know somebody who has a blog uh, that might, uh, that where this topic might be something that I'm going to cover or some, you know, maybe again, maybe it's a, a newsletter or uh, an indie paper or something like that, that where, where I could do a guest post or like an opinion piece. Uh, let me know. I'd be happy to do that as well. And of course, just simple things. If the more followers I have on Twitter, for example, uh, help. So if you want to follow me on Twitter, uh, you can find me at, at firewall dragons, you know, and last but not least, of course, you can, you can help me to help myself. By just being a patron of the show, you can go to patreon.com, look for Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. There's a little blurb there and some different levels you can participate at. And there's, you know, lots of ways for me to pay other people or other services to kind of get the word out as well. And I could do those. It just costs money. So uh, that is yet another way you can do it. And, you know, Patreon is set up as an ongoing monthly thing, but, you know, you could just sign up for a month or two and then drop to it. That's, that's fine. And really, there's just there's just no replacement for good word of mouth. It's one of those exponential things, you know, and they told two friends and they told two friends. If you're old enough, you remember that commercial from, gosh, it's probably the 70s. But, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing travels quickly. So anyway, I'd appreciate it very much if you could help me in my quest to grow the audience, reach more people with this, uh, with these messages and try to make us all safer and more informed. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks so much. If you haven't subscribed, I would recommend you subscribe. Go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from and subscribe. That way you will never miss an episode. And I will do my best, my level best, to keep you updated on all the things you need to know to help protect you out there. 
Happy 2020, everybody. Happy New Year. And until next week, as always, stay safe and don't get caught with your garbage down.